Hello and welcome back to Maybank Kimming's ASEAN Speaks podcast, where we discuss the latest issues and intel that matter to ASEAN capital markets. As markets brace after last Friday's fire sale of 30 billion worth of stocks linked to Archegos, ASEAN markets seem to have held up well on Monday's open, even though this is no guarantee that US markets will open the same way. Over on this side of the Pacific, Malaysia's Ministry of Finance has revised its budget deficit to 6% of GDP. This is up from 5.4%. The big question here is, will Malaysia introduce new capital gains tax, as market grapevine suggests? As the Federal Reserve prepares to do away with restrictions on bank dividends and buybacks, are there signs that Singapore banks will follow suit? On tech shares, Intel announced an ambitious plan to expand its global chips business and will spend $20 billion to build two fabrication plants in Arizona, including a plan to serve third-party and fabless designers. Will chipmakers prefer Intel over TSMC? And who are the supply chain winners in ASEAN? This and more, we head over to our roundtable and let our market specialists share their insights. Chuak Bin, co-head of the Macro Research Desk, will lead the Q&A from here on. On today's call, we have Suaimi on the MOF Briefing and Inflation Outlook, Anand on the latest ASEAN strategy report, Dylan on Singapore strategy after the strong rally in the first quarter, Jean on the implications of Intel's massive $20 billion investment, Jui on the Bank of Thailand rate cut, and Jessada on the implications of the BOT measures on Thai banks, and lastly, Rami on how the Indian banks are faring. So let's start with Sohaimi. Sohaimi, so I think you had a, you know, joined a briefing with the Ministry of Finance on the latest economic stimulus package. What are the main takeaways? So, yeah, um, 2021 budget deficit is uh, revised up to 6% of GDP from 5.4% uh, of GDP uh, previously. So this reflects the 11 billion direct fiscal injection in uh, the latest economic stimulus package. 9 billion ringgit of that 11 billion will be funded by debt, uh, given that uh, the government also is able to finance the balance 2 billion ringgit from the higher crude oil price assumption of $60 per barrel now versus $42 per barrel uh, previously, uh, from, uh, finance minister said every one dollar per barrel increase in average crude price assumption uh, boosts government tax revenue by three hundred uh, million ringgit. But uh, at the same time, just to highlight, uh, the higher crude price assumption also result in an additional three billion ringgit in fuel subsidy costs as uh, the government now caps the price of uh, raw ninety five and diesel at two ringgit five cent and two ringgit fifteen cent per barrel. Um, with this revised uh, budget deficit for 2020, the Medium Term Fiscal Framework, or MTFF, average 2021 to 2023 budget deficit to GDP ratio will be 4.8% versus 4.5% previously. But the government remains committed to fiscal consolidation, which uh, it argues is achievable because the bulk of the fiscal injections in the economic stimulus packages so far are one-off, temporary, and non-recurring uh, measures. Uh, fiscal reform is on track with the government introducing fiscal responsibility act this year when uh, parliament reconvenes after uh, current emergency. And um, the, uh, the economic stimulus package also mentioned about $1 billion sustainable suku. Uh, this is the same as the sustainable bond mentioned in budget 2021 speech in November last year. Uh, the issuance largely reflect the refinancing of $800 million uh, global suku maturing in July. Uh, this year, and the purpose is to uh, fund sustainable development goals projects and uh, programs. Uh, just to highlight, the last issuance of uh, Global Sukuk in dollar was uh, $1.5 billion uh, issued in uh, 
2016. Uh, lastly, official 2021 real GDP growth forecast uh, currently is still at six and a half to seven and a half percent, but um, it will be reviewed accordingly as per economic data and trend according to MOF. However, bear in mind, um, 31st March, uh, there will be the annual release of its 2020 annual report. So we'll see what happened to the official uh, GDP uh, forecast for 2021. So, I mean, there was a rumor going capital gains tax, you know, and, uh, and from, from my chats, at least in Malaysia, you know, uh, from your briefing, was there any read that there could be any kind of an impending tax increase or plans? Um, specifically, no mention about new taxes coming in anytime soon. But um, I think out there, there's already this uh, uh, talk about uh, Inland Revenue Board has actually sent discussion papers out for all the relevant stakeholders concerning uh, the possibility of introducing capital gains tax, undertaking uh, some uh, changes to existing uh, income tax uh, provisions, rules, uh, which I think also include stuff like the possibility of introducing foreign source income tax, uh, as well as uh, rejigging the uh, real property gains tax, uh, converting it into a capital gains tax as well. So I think the works towards uh, medium-term fiscal consolidation through some sort of tax, tax reform is already uh, happening. Although I'm not so sure, I don't think the uh, implementation under budget 2022, but uh, chances are it is possible during budget 2022 presentation later this year. Uh, the MOF will also take opportunity to highlight these uh, discussions and uh, perhaps prepare the ground for the uh, eventual uh, introductions of uh, new taxes or even the reintroduction of uh, GST and other forms of tax reforms. Looks like inflation is returning in a couple of countries. Uh, it's very high now in the Philippines, um, also flaring up, starting to flare up in Singapore. Is inflation also returning to Malaysia? Um, well, marginally it did in February, about 0.1%. Uh, I think in the end, we are going to see the base effect at work for the rest of the year. Uh, so inflation should turn positive. Uh, the trajectory is already in line with our expectation. We are looking at inflation to be 2.6% this year, uh, reversing from uh, minus 1.2% uh, next year. But uh, we also reiterate our call that you know, Benegara is not going to react to this by uh, making any changes to OPR. OPR will stay at current 1.75% record low. And uh, obviously, uh, at least that outlook on OPR is uh, strengthened by the fact that uh, so far, uh, Bank Negara has kept interest rate at this level in the first two meetings of this year. And for that matter, OPR has been at this level since July last year. Thanks, Naimi. Uh, let's move on to Anand on his latest uh, ASEAN strategy report. So Anand, do you want to share your the key highlights of the report? Yeah, hi. Morning, guys. So, you know, when you look at what's been happening in ASEAN for the last couple of weeks, there's, there's a much clearer divergence in performance uh, between the markets uh, as compared to before. And a lot of it's down to the pace of vaccination and what investors expect in terms of border reopenings and normalization of economic activity. So if you look at, uh, at page three of our ASEAN Plus uh, fortnightly, where the stats are, since Singapore is now the best performing market in ASEAN. In fact, it is one of the best performing markets in Asia based on you know, the markets we, we track. And at the other end of the spectrum is the Philippines which, as you all know, just went to lockdown again uh, due to surging COVID-19 cases. So investors are making a much uh, bigger distinction uh, based on the pace of vaccinations 
and what the countries themselves are saying about you know uh, normalization of economic activity. Uh, in the middle, uh, we have countries like Indonesia, Thailand, uh, and um, and Malaysia. I mean, Thailand is still doing quite well uh, based on you know rebounding from last year's uh, huge underperformance, but also uh, you know as Hugben you pointed out, they are also making the right noises about reopening their tourism sector. Uh, you know, unfortunately for Malaysia and Indonesia, the pace of vaccinations are a bit more muddled. Uh, and in the case of Malaysia, you know, the, the latest stimulus package you know, hardly made an impact on the market, uh, given the, uh, uh, the other concerns relating to COVID-19, as well as the, uh, the issues you just brought up uh, on potential you know, changes in the tax regime as well. So you know, w- what we're telling investors is, uh, yes, you, you need to, to look at the pace of uh, normalization and what to expect. Uh, and definitely uh, in Singapore, now, that positive story is also augmented uh, by valuations, uh, the best yield in ASEAN, and also a rising pace of restructuring, which I believe Tillon will touch on a bit later. Any changes in the top stock picks that you want to highlight in the latest? Uh... Yeah, I think if you've been following our ASEAN Plus the last couple of editions, you'll see there's a very positive bias uh, in analyst recommendations across ASEAN. Yeah, well, because you know, you've had a situation where we had severe underperformance last year. Uh, and now we're looking at recovery in the later part of this year, uh, notwithstanding the, the current setbacks in terms of pace of vaccination and some renewed lockdowns. Uh, and that makes for a very positive combination in terms of rating changes. So even in this edition, uh, you'll notice we have been upgrading uh, many more stocks uh, than downgrading. And a lot of them are in the property sector. So if you, you, know, if you look at ASEAN, Yes, there's value in financials. You know, there's value in consumer as consumption comes back. But you know, let's not forget property. Property is hot in many other parts of the world, uh, and in ASEAN, it's no different from very low interest rates and pent up demand. So the countries where we have been upgrading, uh, most particularly Indonesia, uh, we just upgraded the whole sector to positive. Uh, also raised Lipo Karawachi to buy. Nova Land in Vietnam, a very robust property sector there as well. And even in Malaysia, uh, we've raised Eco World to buy. Thanks. Thanks, Anand. Uh, let's move on to Dylan. So I think, as Anand said, it's the best-performing ASEAN market. I think it's up 7-8% this year already. Uh, so tell what's driving this outperformance? Yeah, morning. Um, I think the rising rates and the inflation fears, uh, we've seen um, a broad rotation uh, to value uh, from, uh, from growth. Uh, most of the outperforming markets and sectors in the past 12 months have been driven by growth. Uh, Singapore, is the ultimate value market. It is full of old economy sectors, such as the financials, consumer goods, utilities, materials. And incidentally, these have been the sectors that have been re-rating the overall market in Singapore. So how much more upside, you know, uh, given the rally? And um, so mm. which, uh, which sectors and stock picks at this stage? Um, we have an index target of 3282, which is about 4 to 5% up from here. Uh, but you need to look at it from the context that you're looking at a V-shaped recovery going into this year. Uh, so there is quite a bit of upside risks uh, uh, yet to come. And if you actually look at it from a normalization of the SDI to long-term price to book, you actually have about 60 to 20% upside uh, from here. Uh, in terms of the sectors that we are positive on, uh, we like the banks, tech, telcos, land transport, uh, plantations, and some of the REITs as well. And we're a little bit still a little bit more negative on consumer gaming 
uh, developers and industrials. Mostly from a timing perspective, I think the others will will run first before these two. Um, of course, the uh, upside surprise of some of these negative uh, sectors is restructuring news flow. Uh, we've seen that happening with Capital Land uh, last week, but we think that there's, there will be more to come um, as you go forward. Uh, in terms of the top stock picks, we like AEM, First Resources, Franken uh, from the small to mid caps, and we like AREIT, SGX, OCBC, Wilma, Singtel, Comfort, Delgro, and Venture uh, from the larger caps. Okay, just last one last question, because um, I think the Federal Reserve uh, has allowed the US banks to you know, um, restore their, go back to the paying dividends fully as of uh, from July, I think, from the second half of the year. Any any word or signs uh, from MES? Nothing yet, and we don't expect to hear anything from the MES till about uh, till about June, uh, July, because I think that's when some of the uh, moratorium, especially for DBS, starts to run out. But I think even even with that, we probably won't see a full restoration. Um, I think. You know, uh, generally there is still a bit of caution in terms of asset quality, and remember that the Singapore banks lend a lot regionally, and a lot of the regional countries still have very large loan moratoriums in place, uh, which will not fully wash through in 2021. So I think there'll be a little bit of caution. I think generally you'll see that they will increase the caps, or sorry, lower the caps, whichever way you look at it, um, to pay out more, but it won't be a restoration of to to the full 2019 level. Okay, thanks, Dylan. Uh, let's move on to Gene on tech. So, Gene, what's your take on Intel, Intel's ambitious twenty billion investment on uh, chip manufacturing, and how far behind you know is uh, TSMC's TSMC is uh, Intel? Hi, morning, Hakbin. So, um, one of the key news uh, last week, of course, as you suggested, is um, uh, Intel. They said they're going to spend 20 billion US dollars over a few years to build two fabs in Arizona, and also that they were going to restart their foundry business. So we think that this foundry business is important for two key reasons. Uh, the first proposition here is that this allows US technology players and chip makers to reduce um, their reliance on North Asian foundries. So that is from a geopolitical perspective. Um, secondly, as Intel is also opening its fabs um, for, for chip makers, uh, in a sense, potential customers that make ARM chips, we see them, this is, uh, we see, uh, uh, them as, as you know, uh, being given an opportunity or, or trying to rest an opportunity for them to build immunity against the potential rise of ARM chips uh, versus x86 chips in high-performance computing. So contrasting past efforts, which Intel at uh, has admitted that you know these were half-hearted in the past. Uh, the effort this time is very serious. Uh, the head of the new foundry business will report directly to the CEO, and uh, the foundry business will even even have its own PNL. Uh, that being said, we still have to monitor the progress and success of this new business because it remains to be seen whether chip makers embrace uh, Intel as easily as they embrace uh, other pure play foundries like TSMC for competitive reasons. So this is, uh, um, you know, for instance, one of the key reasons why chip makers have uh, historically preferred TSMC over Samsung Electronics because Samsung Electronics also make their own products, unlike TSMC again, which is a pure uh, foundry player. To your question, in terms of how far they are behind TSMC, um, it, they are probably a few years uh, behind and at least one full node uh, behind. But uh, even Intel, I think they are trying to to regain uh, process leadership in a few years. Of course, it remains to be seen whether they're able to execute on this. Just quickly, how can Intel actually ever bring back Apple as a client? 
Okay, so in terms of that, um, so uh, Intel has uh, is beginning to or with effective from last year, Intel uh, um, uh, is beginning to lose uh, Apple as a key. Uh, customer on the Mac side as Mac transition into um, their own in-house fully ARM-based uh, chips. So in this case, then uh, what Intel hopes to regain is that, you know, maybe that uh, um, Intel can make a portion of these um, uh, ARM-based uh, uh, Mac uh, chips via Intel's own foundries. So I think uh, I think the tone there is that uh, uh, Intel is confident uh, with its own capabilities. That's the first thing. Secondly of all, is that uh, Intel is taking a bet that uh, chip makers would be incentivized to diversify their, their um, uh, manufacturing outsourcing. So which are the Singapore or ASEAN tech names that will benefit from Intel's massive investment? So in that regard, we see um, AMS, the biggest beneficiary for this long-term investment, uh, because AEM derives 90% of revenues from Intel. And usually when um, there is investment in the front end, that use also translates to uh, increase in back-end capacity as well. And the back-end is where AEM plays in. Um, I think this gets even more interesting uh, if Intel is uh, wanting or willing to share HDMT or system-level tests with Foundry customers, because these are AEM's strengths. Uh, and uh, that we see uh, have structural leaks and structural growth uh, drivers as chips get more and more complex to test. Um, Intel's also increasingly reliant on EUV as well as advanced packaging. So these will benefit ASML and applied materials respectively. Um, in turn, we expect this to benefit Franken and UMS because they are involved in these supply chains. Okay, great. Thanks, Jun. Let's Thank move you. on to Thailand. Um, there was a banker meeting last week. Um, um, Bank of Thailand maintained their policy rate. So, Julie, any other key takeaways from the monetary policy statement? Yeah, good morning. Uh, so, perhaps three are the key takeaways from the statement. Uh, firstly, the BOT trimmed its 2021 GDP forecast to 3% from the previous 3.2% forecast that they provided in December last year. Uh, and that's on the back of the impact of the new COVID-19 wave earlier this this year, as well as uh, their lower tourist arrival projections, which was brought down to 3 million people from 5.5 million uh, in December. This is slightly due to the slower pace of vaccination in Thailand. Uh, it's among the laggards in the region just ahead of Vietnam. Uh, as of 24th of March, only 102,000 people or 0.1% of the total population has been vaccinated. Um, the current account surplus forecast was also cut quite significantly to 1.2 billion US dollars from the previous 11.6 billion. Uh, despite the downgrade in tourism, BOT uh, turned more upbeat on goods exports, uh, where growth was raised to 10% from the previous 5.7%. Um, second point was that BOT also raised its headline inflation forecast for this year to 1.2% from uh, the previous 1%. And that's in line with its upward revision of oil prices to $60 per barrel uh, from $47 per barrel. Um, inflation is not back in Thailand yet. As of the February data, uh, it was still at an eight-month low of minus 1.2%. Uh, but we do see inflation uh, return uh, from the second quarter onwards, given the low base from last year, uh, as well as the uptick in energy crisis. The last point I want to make is that uh, on the currency, uh, the recent sell-off of the Thai baht, uh, in line with other emerging market currencies, uh, is slightly a relief for the BOT, uh, which has been concerned about the currency strength and, and the impact on exports. Okay, I think BLT also announced some support measures. Uh, do you think they will be effective? 
so uh, the the BOT and the MOF uh, jointly announced two new measures worth uh, 350 billion baht. That's equivalent to around 2% of GDP. Uh, that's mainly to support businesses, uh, especially SMEs. The first one is a new uh, 250 billion baht soft loan program. Um, Recall that they already had a soft loan program introduced last year, but it managed to distribute only 130 billion baht out of the intended 500 billion. Uh, that was because commercial banks were reluctant to lend, uh, with the BOT capping interest charges at just at two percent, and SME showing a high risk of default. Uh, I think BOT would need to address uh, the supply part of the problem in order for the new scheme to be effective. Uh, the second scheme is a 100 billion baht asset warehousing program. Uh, that's to provide relief for borrowers uh, by allowing liquidity crunch companies to part their asset with banks in exchange for credit. Uh, the program may be operational by May. Uh, I think it will provide some lifeline to worst hit businesses like hotel operators, given that they don't have to liquidate their distressed assets. Thanks, Julie. Let's Thank bring you. in Jasada, our Thai bank analyst. So Jasada, what's the impact uh, or any impact at all from the BOT measures? Hi, good morning. So we are slightly positive with the BOT measure as this would uh, support below liquidity requirement, especially in the tourism and property sectors. So we expect the sector credit cost to decline on year in 2021 and 2022. And we forecast the sector earnings to grow about 14% year on year for this year and next, thanks to the lower credit cost, so as the higher fee income growth. Um, so are you still bullish on the Thai banks and which are your favorite uh, picks? Yes, we still bullish on the Thai banks and believe that the bank's earnings will gradually improve from the second half this year and uh, next year. Given by the vaccination and cost and opening of the cost border travel, and our top pick are Bangkok Bank and Tisco. Bangkok Bank is expected to report the stock yet ETS growth this year, and the stock is a uh, cash pay among the big banks. And we also like his score for the high earning visibility, solid balance sheet, and decent dividend yield. Okay, thanks, Jusara. Let's move on to Indonesia and bring in our uh, bank analyst, Rami. So, Rami, can you update how are the Indonesian banks' earnings faring? Or what are the main highlights? And do you okay. think surprise or you know, upside downside for the rest of the year? Okay, um, so for the year to results are so far in line with our estimate, actually. Uh, there's been improvement in loan growth, uh, although we don't expect it to return to normal year, uh, to the normal level just yet for this year. Um, for the banks that have reported their February numbers, the average loan growth is at 2.8%. This is on track to meet our 4.5% target by year end. And if we compare uh already higher than the minus 2.4% average contraction uh, last year. In terms of provision, it remained higher than the normal years, but the credit costs uh, will be lower uh, than 2020, given that on the average, the banks uh, under our coverage has built 200% uh, 200, 200 uh, NPL coverage by year end, uh, year end 2020. And this uh, lower credit costs and improvement in loan growth uh, is are expected to push uh, the average ROE uh, for these banks uh, higher by about 40 basis point uh, to 12% uh, this year. We don't expect any positive surprise on loan growth given the slow recovery in the economic activities, uh, but the downside risk on provisions should also be limited uh, given the high uh, NPL coverage that I mentioned uh, earlier. 
So I think Bank Indonesia or governor um, you know, expresses frustration that uh, banks haven't really um, reduced their lending rates or, or probably are also not lending as, as aggressively. Is there any um, reaction from the from the banks on this? Um, well, not much of a reaction, but because if you look at the average lending rates has actually come down uh, and also given, uh, bear in mind that there has been restructuring also done uh, by, by the banks. Although the, the total loan restructuring has been, turns out to be lower than uh, our anticipation uh, for uh, last year. So the mm. what we anticipated was uh, about 25% loan restructuring, but on average, we see that the banks are only... Uh, restructure around 20% of their loan book and but this is actually very uh, among uh, among the banks so for example for the names that we cover um the BBRI is um is restructuring around 26% of their uh, total loan book but for Bank Mandiri it's only 20% uh, even for the smaller banks, like uh, the one that we covered, uh, BGBR, it's a regional bank. They only restructure four percent of their total uh, loan portfolio last year. Uh, so maybe lastly, just uh, uh, which which ones are your top picks among the Indo banks right now? Okay, um, top picks among the big banks is still Bank Mandiri. Uh, we like it for the fact that the bank has uh, built a high coverage of the loan at risk. So. Uh, it's already covered the NPL and also the restructured loans. And in terms of valuation, it's very attractive at only 1.5 times price to book. If we compare it with BCAs at four times and BRIs at three times. So it's of the uh, valuation for BBRI. Among the smaller banks, we like BJBR uh, because of the loan quality. NPL is even lower than BBCAs and uh, valuation is also still very cheap, and uh, for the dividend, they're offering about six point eight percent dividend yield for uh, of the twenty twenty profit.